What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I'm sitting in a WeWork around Chelsea in New York in a booth. There's probably five to six percent echo. It's been interesting. I've I've been coming to the WeWorks for about six months. There's nothing there's no advertising here going on by the way. Just to get a little bit of sanity I needed to get out of the house and out of the bedroom. And uh, I know that my mood shifted, you know, my mood dips pretty significantly through winter and especially through December and January in New York. And then a week or so ago, I just started to wake up a little bit earlier. And then I found myself introducing myself to people that I'd seen or that I've seen at this WeWork for a few months. And now there's a little crew of us. I think we're on the point of having team meetings. We don't really know what each other does, but we see each other around and it's kind of cool and uh, just a little bit of a running joke. It's been a while since I've mentioned ASMR and my approach to strategy podcasts, which is mood dumping mixed with ASMR. I was presenting to a group of people kind of in the kitchen out in the open uh, with a microphone right in front of my mouth. So I wasn't yelling, yelling. And then I asked one of my new pseudo team members, like, was that too loud? And he goes, no, you've got an interesting voice. It's like an ASMR voice. And I was like, that is an appropriate observation. And so it's quite funny to have a voice that comes through in a microphone like this. And then everywhere else is basically mumbling noise. Today, we're going to look at eight things new strategists will know once they're old strategists. It's a little Instagram and LinkedIn post that I put together kind of quickly, actually. And uh, I don't know, a few people ended up looking at it. So I thought I'd put it into some kind of audio version. As far as updates from us, uh, sweathead.com. We've got the book, Strategy is Your Words. We've got a new Accelerator six-week program kicking off on March 31, 2022. It's going to be fun. Please check that out. We're just starting to, to launch it and ramp it up. And uh, yeah, lots of other stuff going, a lot of, a lot of company training and uh, sort of talking about strategy with different groups of very, very senior people. And that always helps me reflect on uh, you know some of the challenges that we have in getting traction with the way that a lot of us approach our work and, and thinking. And it's really, 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 really interesting. All right, let's get into the episode. Eight things new strategists will know once they're old strategists. So I do, I do put out a call for questions and prompts, uh, often on Instagram, uh, in Instagram stories. So you can follow me there at Mark Pollard and you can respond. And I, I pick a few that sting me a little bit. You know, I've seen a lot of questions. And so I'm usually looking for questions that I haven't thought of or questions I haven't seen before. I often get questions from people new to strategy about like how to get a job in strategy or how to be a first time strategist. And those questions are just, they're so broad. They're so broad. You will get interesting answers to them. Uh, my joke answer, which I have said before many times when someone says any advice for a strategist new to strategy, my answer is ask better questions. You've got to pull that question apart. What do you mean more specifically if you are genuine about wanting some help, be genuine about the question that you ask and push yourself to a more specific question. Not that a general question is bad, okay, at all, but, you know, I think we can sharpen our questions every now and then. And so eight things new strategists will know once they're old strategists is really just a, a response to a question that I've never been asked, which could be, what will I know about strategy once I'm a bunch of years into it? Don't get hung up on words like new and old, please. You know, I put myself in the, the second category there. So the first thing, and this is in no particular order, this is literally just me sitting down and writing for 30 minutes the other day. Questions matter more than answers. 
I mean, really, do they? I would have thought answers matter more. Answers matter. Okay, relax. But the reason that I've, I'm saying this in this way is to emphasize the role of questions. Often when we're starting out, and it's not just when we're starting out, but often when we're starting out, we think that our heroism is in having answers, but more perilously having answers in the moment to any question that anyone might ask, and that to not have an answer to any question in any moment that someone might ask means that we're not smart, that we don't know what we're doing, that we might get fired. All right, so get your questions together. And I think it's the same when you're doing research. Allow your curiosity, allow your questions, allow the research that you find to exist without you trying to be really, really smart all the time and kind of rush to conclusions and rush to, to strategies. And I'll talk about that in, a, in another episode, I think. So questions matter more than answers. You will be able to pay attention to meetings and see who asks questions. And you might see a correlation between the number of questions asked and the seniority of the person. Often really senior people don't ask a lot of questions. I have a feeling that many of us have enjoyed working with senior people who've been very comfortable asking questions. But there's this weird thing in many cultures that questions are a sign of weakness, of not knowing, right? Which, I mean, they're possibly a sign of the second thing, of not knowing. But the point of them is to get you to better answers. So one, questions matter more than answers. Two, creativity can't be right or wrong. You'll hear themes repeated if you've paid attention to any of the strange stuff that I've put on the internet before, but like, I really do resist words like right or wrong a lot of the time. And the way to explain this is really to remind us all, if you need reminding, that strategy, call it account planning, call it advertising strategy. You can use other adjectives in front of the word strategy. The context is what we do, advertising. Strategy is a creative act. An insight to me is a creative act. It will use objective information, logic, data, evidence. But most insights, many insights, can also be a creative act in that they sew the observations together in a way that helps us understand the world in a new way. And then maybe science can prove the insight for sure. But uh, yeah, to me, strategy is a creative act. Strategy involves ideas. Ideas are attempts to make something exist. And ideas are infinite. Like, we will never stop having ideas because all you need to do is squeeze things together in a way that hasn't been done before. And squeezing things together in ways that haven't been done before creates an idea or leads to an idea. Ideas create meaning. Meaning creates value. So you can't get an idea right or wrong. You could say it works or it doesn't work or it's provocative or not provocative or dull or not dull. But right or wrong, just move on from that language. And I know sometimes we say right in a way where we're not saying scientifically right, as in accurate, but like it, it feels right and I can argue for it. I, I understand that. But I think the more we carry on about right or wrong, the more that there's, I don't know, I, I think it distracts us. I think it distracts us. Number three, most of the time you won't make sense. I think it's so important to point this out because we don't often talk about in, in public, even if the public is a small public, such as your strategy team or your agency, we don't often, often admit that so much of our work is being confused and not sure and you're saying things and it's almost for some of us like writing poetry where you're like, I, th I think there are some words that could make sense of this feeling that I have. And 
the meaning kind of edges its way into the world. But until it's into, in the world, and until other people are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, a lot of the journey is nonsensical. And I think that's a really big point that a lot of companies who are new to strategists struggle with. One of the most common criticisms that I've heard, sometimes when I've taken over teams, is that person can't land the plane. I'm sure it's been said about me, right? But we all know that we could have a weird rambling conversation for an hour or two. And then what one of us needs to do at the very least one is go away and write it down, write down what we thought. And in the writing, we find structure and then we restructure things by rewriting. Okay, so most of the time you won't make sense. And I, th I think you gotta enjoy that. And if that's true, enjoy, like really push yourself into the nonsensical stuff. What re like ask yourself, with this project that, I've, that I'm working on, with the research that I'm doing, what would really not make sense to recommend? Write it down, be weird, see what sticks. And you might be able to make sense of it later. Number four, well, this confusion, it can be tiring. It can be tiring and sometimes you don't know well usually you don't know when that little epiphany or the epiphanies that you're aiming towards on your project you don't know when they're going to strike but for some people who are maybe a little more anxious and maybe identify with being overthinkers to spin and spin and spin especially when you're working with people who might be looking at you for the answer which is you got to identify that in you if, if you see yourself in those moments a lot it's not about you bring other people into the thinking you know you don't want to set yourself up i think in a strategy team or in a in a team where you're the strategist where they're just waiting for you to say the thing like that's that's not good even if you did really really well at school okay you want to bring people in to sort of enjoy the confusion and enjoy the answers uh, but yeah, sometimes confusion is tiring and the best thing that you can do if you're able to is go for a walk, get away from it. A lot of stuff's been written about that. Fill your, fill your brain with a whole bunch of stuff, do some thinking and then get away from it and allow your subconscious to do what it's made to do. So confusion is tiring. Number five, it's important to find things without rushing to conclusions. Now, when you are reviewing other people's work, what rushing to conclusions looks like is a lot of slides and each slide doesn't necessarily allow the research to just be reported. Here's what we found. The rushing to conclusions is each slide having a kind of obvious thing that we found and then a therefore or an implication. And it's quite a confusing reader experience if you're just reading someone's deck or recommendation there's nothing wrong with you having 10 slides let's call it where each slide makes one point but each of those points supports one overarching point so for example if my point is this one okay i'm going to try to be meta so i never know what's going to come out and if it'll make sense here we go i'm, I'm living this uh social media post that i put out there find things without rushing to conclusions okay so let's say the point i want to make is that finding uh, strategists will work better have better work lives if they can find things without rushing to conclusions that's my main point each of those 10 slides would bring that one point to life slide one might be some 
statistic from some academic paper. Slide two is three quotes from strategists that I've talked to. Slide three is quotes from clients who felt overwhelmed by all the information and implications in a recent presentation, so on and so forth. Okay, as opposed to more of a piecemeal setup where each slide is making a slightly different point. There's no continuity. There's no overarching thought. So then with the research, which again, we'll talk about in another podcast, because I've been thinking about this, gently collect information without needing to show everyone how smart you are at all times. So if we were researching this very topic, you know, what's it, what's it like for a client to receive a 50 slide deck with 50 recommendations? We do our, we do our research and then we might, the way I usually do interviews is actually I type everything up. So I have a full transcription, but I type quickly. So I get it all together and then I'll give myself a page probably with multiple questions, but in this case, let's pretend we're answering, answering one question and I'll just go, f I'll find the three, five, seven, ten points. My brain often goes three, five, seven, ten. The three, five, seven or ten points from the research that I've found from other people that support the point or, or give me a way to understand the overarching theme that we're investigating rather than trying to say therefore, 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 every time we find something. I hope that makes sense. It felt a little bit vague as I was talking it through. Number six is you are not your audience, but your experience is still relevant. And this means not being in a workshop, a brainstorm or a meeting and uh, about a brief that has nothing to do with you as a potential customer or consumer or buyer or whatever. And you don't want to be in, in a meeting like that, that has, in a, working on a brief has nothing to do with you and you say something like, well, I wouldn't do that because it's totally irrelevant. But if you're working out how to sell, I don't know, fishing rods to a particular group of people and you've been fishing once, but you haven't in 20 years and you're not thinking about doing it again, maybe you do have some story from a very long time ago that could be relevant to the brief. But you need to separate the brief and its audience from you. So your history, your experience are relevant, but don't make the brief about you. That's really what I'm trying to say. Number seven, everything is raw material. Sort of builds on a previous point in, in some way. I, I don't know, I, I feel like, I think I did this as well. I, I had a phase in my 20s where I, I didn't spend a lot of time with fiction and only sort of later started to think about how personal experience could matter. Uh, you know, we had kids relatively young. I was 28 when we had our first born. I was married at 25, I was pretty young really. But I was able to have conversations with people 10, 15 years older than me who'd been through that when we were working on products that had something to do with parenthood, you know, worked on uh, Kleenex and various products like that uh, that we're trying to sell to, to parents and schools and, and whatnot. And so having kids young actually helped me have certain conversations that I would have not really been able to have without having had kids. That's what I'm saying. I'm supporting point six and point seven. Point seven, everything is raw material. And on that, like, um, you know, we had a, we had a, a health situation at, at some point. I need to be a bit vague. And I, I drew a diagram of what it was like for a parent to go through that. And the diagram was mapping out the sort of emotional journey over a few months. And the client took it and presented it to all these doctors. So a little bit different to point six because I was kind of in the audience, I'm being vague, but everything is, is raw material. And it's not just your personal experience, it's fiction. Read fiction, like really good fiction has amazing psychological insights in it. Nonfiction, I mean, you, maybe you're into documentaries, you're binging things on YouTube, like it's, it's all 
raw material for you to use in your work. Okay, so you don't need to see a barrier between strategy and life. It's all there for you to deploy in a creative way. Number eight, and the last one, you're a student for life. And I, I just don't think you can last as a strategist, at least in the way that I see a strategist, which is a type, a subtype. It's a type. Okay, I'm not saying everyone has to be like this, but if you're not interested in learning and you don't feel like you're a student and you're there to be right, first of all, it's pretty. It's a pretty arrogant position to take in the world. But also, I, I just don't know if you can really do our work because at some point you'll be too good for new information or to learn something new, or, which can mean that you're going to be too good to actually make new connections. So identifying as a student, I think, is actually very, very useful. So just wanted to put this into words because it's reached a few people online, a couple thousand people, I think. Um, if you've got thoughts about this, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Mark Pollard. If you want to find out about our strategy classes, sweathead.com. I'll be back with some more short episodes in the coming weeks. I hope you're doing okay out there. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If it's your first time here, please subscribe. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend or leave a kind rating. For more information about our strategy classes, events, and books, visit www.sweathead.com. And yes, you can find us on Instagram at, at Sweathead.